0: she's such
1: a threat
0: we choose the right to be who we are we know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom
1: there's a way to live with earth and a way not to live with earth we choose the way of earth
0: it's about power Mm
2: Greetings and good day and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart and it's a good day for all of us to be here. In addition to relativity, this is First Voices Radio and I send you greetings and strength from the highlands of the Esopus where the active breath of the Munsee-Lenape Nation lives in what is now temporarily called the Catskill Mountains by the settlers, Dutch and Americans and regardless, they are the highlands of the Esopus. I'm Teocas and Ghost Horse, and this is an all-native-hosted, all-native-produced First Voices Radio. And from the Red Lake Ojibwe Nation, Liz Hill, producer of First Voices Radio. Our studio engineer ally guide is the Malcolm Byrne. You can now hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Budsprouts, Spotify, as well as First Voices, indigenousradio.org for archive, downloading, and listening. Manya Andrews is an indigenous woman from the Kimberley region of Western Australia. Born to an Aboriginal woman and Scottish father, she's proud of her Aboriginal and Celtic heritage. And her Bardi Saltwater people come from the Dampier Peninsula and off- offshore islands of Broome. You've been educated in Australia, University of Melbourne, one of the leading Australian thinkers, degrees in anthrop- anthropology and law and we're going to be talking about the book journey into dream time which is an easy guide to aboriginal spirituality that explains dream time concepts in a simple way welcome Munya. i want to tell you that yeah. it's an honor to talk with you tomorrow in in my dimension and yesterday in your dimension yes and, <laughs> and thank you and thank you for being here
1: yes my, my pleasure just um I'm honoured to be to
2: be asked as a guest to be on. So, look, great to be here. <laughs> yes, Manya, the last time we were together was just before the calendar changed numerically into a Westerners' New Year, and I say this yes. in contrast to knowing that many cultures often have their own way of perceptually experiencing uh, what is known as time. And in the book mm-hmm. Journey into Dream Time, which we'll be talking about. There seems to be just that, an aborigine way of what dream time is. Tell us about dream time, because a lot of people yeah. have been colonized with what they want to give standard to in a Western way, but you have a different way. Could you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, well, well, time is um, perceived in, in a very different way to the Western world. And for us, and I think same as... Native Americans um, is that time is circular. It's a circle. It's not measured in a a linear way. And um, that is completely different to Garia, is our word for non-Indigenous people. Um, And what's interesting about that is that scientists, um, quantum scientists have now come to this realization that time is indeed a circle that you can place yourself anywhere along that circle um, as a way of accessing different dimensions and um, different parts of time if you like it's an idea that that also time is circular it moves in a in a different frame we don't necessarily see the future ahead of us, the past behind us. And so it's just a different way of of operating within time. And dream time is this even broader concept of creation where um, it signifies, it's used in the sense of that was the time when the world was created during the dream time, when our spirit ancestors, which we call dreaming beings, you know, walked along the earth and created rivers and lakes and mountains. Just a very different way of looking at time. Um, there are in in individual uh, nation terms for dream time, but dream time is the Aboriginal English word for, for it, if, if you like. In some ways, some people say it's a bit of a misnomer, and that because a, a lot of people think, oh, don't fully understand what dream time is. I think that's that's something what you do when you go to sleep and you have dream time and that and it's no, it's just an expression for the other world worldly existence, if you like, of time. The um yeah, it's a creative period that we can access at in any time during our waking lives. I correct to
2: say, Munya, that dream time to the Aboriginal people is pretty much the backbone Of um, quote unquote a belief system uh, that is really not a religion, but the way that you describe time as circular and maybe maybe spiral as a continuum.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Would Would you uh, um, elaborate on that a little bit? Because I know you said uh, a few deep things here, and 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 I'm really liking that. And and I want to add to something that. As you say it's different to native people and sort of this what I call this temporary country called United States or Canada or Mexico Turtle Island for what we know is that dreams mean quite something different and by this uh, the same way with you and, and Aborigine and it's like a continuum much more than just a vision uh, and you say it's more than just a dream sleeping or even an induced hallucination with mind altering substances. People seem to want to describe it as maybe a totem, a guide perhaps, but I think there's a little bit more to that.
1: Yeah, well, it is, it is a continuum. It's a philosophy. It, it's a cosmology. It, it's a way of life that completely embraces Indigenous people. We're within that dream time where what was created yesterday is just as as new and alive as it is today. And that's the wonderful thing about Dreamtime, that you can access it today. It's not just a thing of the past, but it's this continual creation, the recognition that the universe, if you like, continually recreates itself all the time. And, and in fact, our ceremonies and our rituals, that we, when we relive a, a lot of the ancestral creation stories, is it, it enables us to reach back into that time and play an active part as as an active creator in, in that as well and that's that's the power of dream time that we can access it today not just a thing of the past but it's about being in touch with all of creation at every minute every second that that's happening around you that we as human beings all have parts to play in that creation, almost like a cosmic dance of of kind, but it does. It does underlie our our culture, our our stories, our histories. And it can be a difficult concept for outsiders to understand. You almost have to immerse yourself in it to be able to grasp into this other world, which is quite magical, really. Now, there are some people who uh, criticize the use of the term dreamtime and say, oh, you know, that's like a colonialist just love that because there's nothing kind of real about that or solid about Indigenous culture. But for me, I think it's actually a magical world because it does speak to something larger beyond us and and the mystery of God, you know, the, the, the great mystery, if you like, that we're not meant to entirely understand i think i think as human beings we only get a glimpse of it um, every now and then but what we call our when when something is revealed to us and we have some sort of um epiphany about things it is circular yeah
2: journey into dream time came across this term at the beginning of the book really about soft software and that it doesn't yeah. come easily to you would you go into that a little bit
1: It was just something that I'd read in a book by Joseph Campbell, who wrote prolifically on mythology. And he likened virtuality to software. He says, um, You can't go around tinkering with other people's software if you're not born into it or don't have an understanding because you're not going to understand it. So that's what I say to people. If Dreamtime is hard for you to understand, it's just that it's not part of your software. Um, so um, I think Campbell said, if you begin fooling around with signals that belong to another system of software, they, they just don't work. So um, my intention in Journey into Dreamtime was try to explain the components of that software, if you like. so that. People can have some understanding of of Dreamtime software. I I just really love that analogy that he used, and so I I use that in in my book. The thing with Campbell, he says, you know, he says you don't realize, but when when you look at your computer, it's just this great huge miracle, and there's lots of these little angels going about doing their work and that. Um, So again, it's that. For me, it's that going into that mystic, taking us into that mystic world that we don't always comprehend, but we, we feel ecstatic when we, we we do glimpse into it or feel a part of it at, at a certain time. So yeah, so um software, I, I love that concept of spirituality as being software.
2: I do too, I, I really, regardless of the fact that you have all your education, you still know what magic is about. And, and just a little description of my mother when she was sick one time and the us children were sitting there watching her and we were outside and we were fishing and she got sick, she got ill and she looked to this small little sloping hill and she went over there and she cleared herself a, a, a sort of a place to lay down and it was all bare ground. And she laid down in this path Uh, her body's body length and she laid in it and she laid there maybe 20 minutes and then she got up and then she came back and she was like brand new and years later I came to see to hear that she used her software the uploading like you would describe like Joseph Campbell Um, she used it to understand the the song of the earth so when it came to that the minerals the, the nutrients were uploading to her body and she was, yeah. she was voicing with the language because that's what the native language is saying. There didn't need to be a ceremony because that was laid deeply by yeah. our ancestors. So when I think yeah. about the Aboriginal song lines, it's kind of like that, is it not?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The songlines carry all of the information and and stories and traditions and they uh, traverse the the countryside like ley lines in the Western tradition. They understand that. But one of the other things is when I'm teaching people how to access Dreamtime, um, I, I tell them it's very important to walk barefoot on the ground, so to take off your shoes, so that that information that's contained in the land can come up through the soles of your feet, the S-O-U-L-S of your feet, rather than S-O-L-E-S. I love the play on on words. Um, So I was taught information comes up through your feet, and you take it all in. So that's that downloading and uploading um that that uh comes from being in nature and being open to the exchange of energies um between the two now i know the western world would think um think of knowledge as a uh in in a very different sense um certainly not as being freely available to everyone. And that's what's wonderful about um, Aboriginal spirituality and other Indigenous spiritualities around the world is that everyone's empowered, and everyone can have their own holy experience, you don't need to go through, um, you know, a a priest or a rabbi or anything like that. So it is about um, Downloading and uploading energies. And the song lines uh, play right into that because that's where the information is contained. So it's 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 like the history of the earth, if you like, the history of creation um, is there in the ground, and it's a matter of walking on it and being open to receive that that energy and that information. And some wonderful. Realizations and epiphanies can come from that, um, from just being in nature. You know, listening to the wind, um, talking to the rivers, talking to the trees. Have them uh, share their knowledge with you, um, because they are our ancestors, and um, it's a wonderful, different way of learning, isn't it?
2: Yes. Thank you for that. And I'm kind of go go back a little bit, but I remember yeah. something you said. But it's that. Spirituality cannot be packaged in, um, you know. A lot of Americans, in this case, Westerners, they tend to want to induce dreams or visions, and so they go about taking plants and and calling it plant medicine. But that's a an individual journey, so to speak. But it's when they come out of the inducement and they, and for instance, they're. There would be a fire outside of the building that they are participating in, in the so-called inducement with others but they come yeah. out and and they they don't take care of the fire they they leave the fire messy they put it out with water they don't treat the spirit of the fire very well they leave you know maybe little trash or garbage around it so i'm trying yeah. to relate that it has to be through and through This dream time, because when you sing for the land, like Yoro Yoro, and the love magic that you talk about, what is manifesting consciousness then?
1: Yeah, it's about about getting in touch with the energies that already exist, because that's the other thing. It's not um, necessarily you, the magic lawman or lawwoman that brings this about, but it's being, it's getting in touch with something greater than yourself, a greater creation, and working with those energies, and that's what you're seen to manifest. But it's the working with those en- energies, not just making them just happen out of thin air, in a sense. So it's working with nature, saying, "Okay, what what's the song that we can come up with together?" And again, it's it's taking ego out of out of everything because it's not yeah. you that's doing it, but you're you're almost a servant of nature if you like or or, or a conveyor um, rather than necessarily manifesting those things but you're teaching people how to weave yourself through through those energies and so that you call into manifestation in a sense what's already been dreamed um, if that makes sense yeah things that already exist there, and you're just working with nature um, so that you're enabling nature to help things stand up, which is yoro yoro, making everything like new again, making the grass stand up, the trees stand up, um, making um, all of the the species plentiful so that there's plenty to eat. Yeah, so uh, bringing that, helping bringing that into existence. But it's almost so when- like catching, catching the, the, the wave rather than you doing it yourself. So working with
2: nature. There are so many cultures, ancient or not, they're, they're civilizations, so to speak. A lot of them came to the Western Hemisphere. And at that time, they really had little of their culture left. So they formed a civilization. Out of that civilization, they, they tend to extract from other cultures. And it's because their loss of culture was taken away from them. Are they behaving or reacting out of loss of culture, sort of a trauma, to take it easily from those peoples who still have culture, so to speak? Yeah,
1: I I think so. I think think there's a lot of trauma that's unacknowledged by them. Um, I had a, um, have a great um, Indigenous woman friend and teacher, Kerry Tim, and she said to me, "Manya, you know, us Aboriginal people, we're very, very lucky. Um, and, and she said that our, the damage done to us as human beings is far less than in Europeans have had a longer history of damage, so much so that they've, they've lost a lot of their spirituality, whereas, yes, we've suffered a lot in our colonized colonization here in australia about 250 years or so but that's nothing compared to the damage that europeans have gone through and it was such an empowering moment for me to realize and just sat realizing how much more intact as human beings that we are despite what's happened to us you know the stolen generations the massacres uh, the murders and all that that still there's a lot that remains within our culture that keeps us strong. Um, But I think, yes, that that when people are devoid of their own, that's when they look towards others and go, let me see what I can take. Oh, I can take that from there and I can take that from there without understanding the the full, um, the responsibilities of that. Um, That's okay to do that so long as you give back in other ways and that's our whole kinship system is predicated on that basis of, um, you know, and, and country and for us land, which we call country, um, you, you know, we have a saying that if you look after country, country will look after you. So if you enter our in, Indigenous worlds like that, you, the non-Indigenous person, have to give back as well and and be uh, reciprocate those relationships and not just take and leave and and uh, for your own. Um, ego, um, for your own value. It's um, Everything when we're we're taught that everything that comes through us through spirit or messages is shared with the rest of the tribe. You know, um, special law men and women will have an epiphany and will come back and share that with the entire tribe. This is what I experienced in the spirit world and you bring that back and it's for everybody, not just for one person.
2: You know, it's a hard subject, I guess a topic to talk about when, when Native people talk about sacred sites, and I often have the idea that humans don't make sacred sites, sacred sites make us.
1: Yes, yes, I do because um, the sacred sites for us are, are places where um, the energies of the earth are so concentrated, that's what makes them sacred, because people will say to me, oh, Manya, but isn't all of the land sacred? And I go, yes, it is. But you've got to acknowledge that in certain places, the energy is more concentrated. And that's what makes them sacred sites. And you're right, it's not the human beings that make it sacred, it's us recognizing that it is a place of, of sacredness. Um, and we contribute to that, but we don't make it. Um, it already is sacred. So it's like um, men in, 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 our, in our culture, I've heard a, a, a teacher, male teacher friend of mine who says, uh, us men, we have to go off and do all the rituals and all the ceremonies. Because unlike women, we're not sacred. Women are sacred already. They don't have to do these ceremonies and rituals. But as men, we have to. So there's a recognition that there's something intrinsic within woman that is sacred, and it's, that's the same with the country too. That there's, there are already. It is already sacred, and it's yeah. You don't make it, but you you pay homage to it and you honour it, and you go there. Um, to obtain knowledge especially, I always talk about sacred sites not just as something that you look at, but something that you gain. And so the sacred sites, I talk about S-I-G-H-T-S, not S-I-T-E-S. So sacred sites. And um, ultimately, um, there are insights that are gained from visiting these special places. And that's what sacred sites are places of
2: insight. You know, the many diverse cultures, languages spoken in in Australia among the Aboriginal communities, it, it's like this all over the world. And you being an anthropologist, no more so. It's where how one looks at anthropology, but how one feels about anthropology because of the knowledge and information. But I'm finding, is there really wisdom in information and knowledge? Because it seems that we have so much of that information and knowledge about other cultures, other societies, civilizations, but we have so much knowledge and information. We don't know what to do with it. And I'm quote, kind of quoting, paraphrasing an elder who said, we have so much of that, that we don't know what to do with it now, but it's the fact that we are all are starving for wisdom. Yeah,
1: it's it's all around us. And, but I, I think too, that um, it's that, um, we're only, as human beings, um, meant to only really know just a little bit. I think if we were to understand it all, would be enlightened beings, you know, flying off that we're not meant to have it all, because it is so overwhelming, that's the other thing. But we understand, you know, the great mystery when a child is born and we're holding a newborn in our, our arms for we have a, a moment where we, we get in touch with that, uh, that greater power than than ourselves and get in touch with that. I know for myself, the different spiritual experiences I've had can be overwhelming. I think we're only meant to have it in little doses because it would truly blow your mind but it is I think the wonderful thing is that it is there for us for our benefit to um, help us to aid us and that's the wonderful gift our ancestors gave us was were these stories where we can listen to the stories and really think about what the stories are trying to tell us where we can be comforted in times of of grief or sadness like I remember being told stories about the rainbow serpent, for instance, which is one of our highest deities. um, And just thinking it was a story until I had my own experiences uh, with the rainbows a snake where I realised they weren't just stories that our elders were telling us that there's actually a lot of truth to it. And, And the wonderful thing about that is for me about getting in touch with that rainbow snake spirituality that's made me who I am and help me to understand the world and and to seek great comfort you know during these times look what look what's happening in ukraine and with covid and 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 you know the world and people really despairing at what's happening and i go no no come back and center yourself be grounded the ancestors gave us the stories that we can draw upon, upon to give us strength and they gave us culture um, so, like with COVID, for instance, what's happening, I sort of remind Aboriginal people, we can get through this because we have our, our spirits and our ancestors are with us. There's no need to be afraid. We will get through Um, anything. We just have to remember uh, the things they taught us about looking after each other, Um, calling someone up saying, how are you going? Can I do anything for you? Can I bring you some food? We've forgotten, uh, many of us, to look after each other. And that's where uh, the strength of Indigenous kinship comes and rises to the fore. Those stories and that were, were gifts that our ancestors gave us to help us through life. Yeah, so I think we can become overwhelmed with too much knowledge and information. But it comes, I find, at just at the right time when you need it to get the right amount of dose to get you get you through.
2: And you're listening to Munya Andrews here on First Voices Radio. My name's Teo ghost Ghostors, and uh, I'll be trying to put Munya Andrews back together for you to finish out this interview in the second half hour. If you're hurting in your relationship and want to talk, StrongHearts Native Helpline is here to listen. StrongHearts is a free, 24-7, confidential and anonymous
3: domestic dating and sexual violence helpline for Native Americans and Alaska Natives. Connect with an advocate by calling or texting 1-844-7NATIVE or by using the chat icon at strongheartshelpline.org.
2: Alrighty then, welcome on The Rebound here on First Voices Radio, my name is T. Ocasin Ghost Horse, your host for this radio program for a long time and a long time, I'm telling you. I'd like to thank you for joining us here. We have Munya Andrews to finish out the journey into dream time. I feel like I'm asking too many mechanical questions <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I, I really um, try to stay away from that. but. The singing that we do as Indigenous Peoples, whether it's inside or outside, what an experience. But really, is there really a division? Because the song just doesn't stay in your head, or the words that you speak, or the thoughts, they, they go beyond. They don't just stay in your head, they go other places. And every, all life form seems to pick that up, or seems to pick it up.
1: Just as you said that, I had this image of, the frequencies, because we're working with sound and that's what song is. And it's um, and the so- sounds, the frequencies, once you've started them, that's the song lines. It's like that shaking energy that goes traveling through the air and the earth. That's the value um, of, of songs and and music and vibrations and again it's getting to the heart of vibrations that are within all of us within um human beings and animals and plants and vibrations in nature um, that's the singing of nature that we we as indigenous people are uh, sing the land all, all the time to well one to get in touch with those energies but to pass on those energies because they go on to create so it's something that we we pull out of ourselves just contributes to that, to that river, if you like the river of energy that flows out. That's the power of the song. Mm-hmm.
2: You say this, the songs, the vibrations, of song, it's almost like you're describing medicine the way you were describing it, Munya. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and when it comes to that's where the immunity seems to come from too, is the songs, am I in the right direction?
1: Yeah, the uh, immunity, yeah, definitely. We have uh, our healers in our culture um, and a lot of our healers have immunity around sickness because they carry the dreaming for that sickness. So they're not affected or um, by that sickness. Um, so it has something to do with Im- immunity as well. It's, it's understanding sickness at such a basic level profound level, having deep insight as to what sickness is or, or illness, because you'd have to understand what that is to have the immunity. So some of the um, healers uh, have that, and so they're able to be not affected by certain illnesses, if you like. For instance, In the northern regions of our country where there's a lot of uranium deposits, for instance, there are some people that can get sick by going to these places, but there are other healers who carry the dreaming for the uranium spots so they understand illness at that really deeper level, which is incredible. Um, Not that I know a lot about it because I haven't got that that dreaming for uranium, but it must be incredibly powerful when you think about it, being able to move in that environment and not be affected by that illness. There must be something huge going on, some huge magic going on to be able to negotiate that.
2: The other book that I interviewed you about, The Seven Sisters of yeah. the Pleiades, it seemed like yeah. all the knowledge and wisdom landed and it's coming out in dream time, it's coming out in song, it's coming out in the practices that we have as Indigenous peoples continuing the original instructions that were given to us. Is there anything that you think that's very important to, to, to let people hear?
1: Um, just I think it's just important for people to, to get in touch with their spirituality, and especially for us Indigenous ones that have had that And away from us because they were removed from their families, Um, a lot of the time, I'll have people of the stolen generation here say to me, oh, but, you know, Auntie, we don't have that anymore. And I go, no, that's not true. The knowledge is in the land, and you have to take off your shoes and walk on the land, and that information will come to you. You may have missed out on the early teachings as a young child and that, but it's still there in the land. All you have to do is be open to receiving that information. And a lot of it can and will come back. So for me, it's about just reminding people um, about who they are and going back to find themselves. And it is through nature um, and nature will assist us in discovering us, rediscovering us, and our reason for living and and purposeful for being here so just remindlessness of that that the power remains no matter what they do to us we will always be strong in our spirituality they can never take away our spirituality. people have tried through the centuries and through the years but they can't do it it's it, it's just a powerful realization. Once again, that there's something bigger than us, and it's about getting in touch with what that bigger thing is, and it's a great mystery, is to be revered and and honored, and you know our purpose on in in life is to, to to discover that, to rediscover that.
2: Okay, thank you, Manya Andrews, author of yes. Journey into Dream Time, and it's so good to talk with you. And I was looking forward to speaking other than The Seven Sisters of Pleiades, but Journey into yes. Dreamtime. And it's one of my books, gonna, I'm going to keep my one of my rare books I'm going to keep on the shelf back yes. behind me. So yes. I'll, I'll keep this. Yes. And thank you so much for spending time with us.
1: Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I always love it. It's, um, and isn't it wonderful that Indigenous people can come together like this around the world and share our knowledge and our wisdom and our stories with one another. It so, is, it is. Thank you. Thank yeah. you.
2: That was a Lakota calling song, a dream song, a doing song, a being song. It is a song by the Lakota telling us about being here right now at this moment. No other time, just right here. And this is what we do. Friends and this road and how it is and what it is. And a very good song bringing the center and focus that was given to us. And this is the way we speak. This is the way... This is how it is, basically. creator is the one we give voice to. So this is the time, intentional silence that was going on here between that last Lakota song and my speaking it. There was an intention, what I would like to call the Inila Waka, or the Holy Silent, or the Silent Holy, for an honored sister that I had the honor of on pounds with overseas in Portugal, and talking about the water, and especially Dakota Access Pipeline that happened back in 2016, March 2016. And I had gone up to Fort Yates and Cannonball in that area where LaDonna, Babel, Allard lived. What happened was I saw a few t- few tents, campers, and I that was in, in April, June of 2016, I had gone and returned and later on in October and and November and December of that same year in 2016. I had not met LaDonna Brebel Allard until I had gone to Portugal because there were so many people in Standing Rock, thousands of people, all walks of life from everywhere, all parts of the world. And a reason why I say this was the silent time between the song and intentionally, it is not a waste of time but a filling of energy that Lakota people, in this case, a lot of Native people have. And we give tribute this way. And we did not speak those who have journeyed on for their names, at least for one year. And today, April 10th, is that year that LaDonna Braybull Allard was a citizen of Standing Rock. Sioux Tribe le- learned of what she called the Black Snake, 1,170-mile 1, underground pipeline that would stretch from the shale oil fields of northwest North Dakota to Illinois. She volunteered the use of her land to establish Arista's resistance camp, and it brought a global protest against the Dakota Access Pipeline. And it would come too close to Native land, which just all is Native land anyway, but in this case, to the burial grounds of the Lakota people, including one of her sons. And that Dakota Access Pipeline would spew oil spews oil could contaminate the region's water supplies and all of that tributary source into the Mississippi down to the Gulf. In millions, 18, 19, 20, even some say up to 40 million people could have been affected or infected by if the water was ever contaminated by this Dakota Access Pipeline. And it also violated a lot of long-standing treaties between Native Americans and the federal government. And that movement stopped the pipeline, and it embraced our, I wouldn't say tribal sovereignty, because this is who we are, so we are free as Native people. But when we, we are saddled with the citizenry as an American, that's when we have to bring it along and make it environmental justice and protect the water sources everywhere. And so on this date, April 10th, in Fort on Dakota, 64-year-old Madonna Braybu Allard passed away. It's been one year now. She passed away from brain cancer. She established a sacred stone at Standing Rock at the confluence of the Cannonball in Missouri Rivers in March of 2016. People came. There was an indigenous youth group that spread the word across social media and ran all the way to the White House in Washington, D.C., Lakota youth. And in months, there were thousands of people, and you had the experience to be there. I don't know why other people speak out against Native people. We were protecting the water for all life, not just a certain few chosen because we can afford it or not. And there were other people, like I said, uh, other tribes, other nations, environmental and and activists, civil activists, civil rights activists, politicians. There were tents and trailers and sleeping bags and teepees all across the prairie. And there were leaders from all over the continents, every continent that you can think of, every land that you could possibly understand. It was one of the largest indigenous... Gatherings of peoples, indigenous peoples, in more than a century, at least for the Lakota. I think that she wrote, she said something about this movement is just, not just a pipeline. We are not fighting for a reroute or a better process in the white man's courts. She said that they were fighting for something much bigger their rights and for the liberation of Mother Earth. And we want every last oil and gas pipe removed from her body, she wrote. And we want healing, we want clean water. We want to determine our own future. And she told us not to be sad for her, but to continue the fight, continue to resist, continue to be resilient. Greed is a virus. Greed is something that people don't fight. They don't resist it. They go with it because it's infectious, it's addictive, and you're induced because of this selling. Actually, it's asking for your energy, and now you've given it freely because it gives you no choice. Yet, indigenous peoples all over the world... Have a choice. There was no such thing to be poor, no such thing to be rich. It just was. There was no imbalance with that. And that's not idealistic, because I know people who actually don't base their value on how much property or possessions they have, or not. And so in this way, I wanted to bring that intentional silence for a sister's name that I didn't pronounce or announce for one year. Now I can say it. LaDonna Bray Bull Allard. And she carried the staff of the Lakota in that good way. No matter what criticisms, no matter what naysaying was out there, she stood up for, for the earth. She stood up for Mother Earth. And so I bring you that. Thank you for listening to First Voices Radio. My name is Tiokasing, Ghost Horse. <laughs> That's tears for the fears, or fears for the tears, or tears for the fears. And everybody wants to rule the world. This is First Voices Radio. My name is Teokas and Ghost Horse. And I was wondering about one of those lines and how do you get to rule the world? And I'm thinking, well, it gives you the answer right there. You turn your back on Mother Nature, you turn your back on Mother Earth. Income swooping greed. And then greed is the value that people don't understand, um, because it's like I said before, it's induced, induced. And in, what if it greed costs? I mean, not the result of greed, but what if the actual greed as a value costs, and you had to pay for greed? Now this is this is odd, huh? I'm not a Western thinker, but greed is a being. Greed is a want. Greed is something that people don't understand. And that's why it's got everybody confused. The Washichu and all of us, the Wendigo, right? And that's the one that's not not ever satisfied. And that's what's being taught here in this country, temporarily named the United States and the Western Hemisphere called America. Because America is just not North America. Yeah, there's my small rant for this day. And uh, yeah. I like that. I guess the key word is in-person. And that's where we are, Malcolm, is we are in-person. And um, he's, he's nodding his head over there. So, yeah, thank you for joining us here on First Voices Radio. My name is Tiokas and Ghost Horse. almost there. Welcome. Hello. This is us live. This is Teokasin. This is Teokasin live. And Hey, man. Hey, I was just thinking, Yeah, turn turn that down a little bit, would you? The duduk. I was just thinking, we have a couple minutes here. I was thinking about, what do you think about greed? Because I'm kind of taking a personal survey of people about greed. Hmm. That's a tough one. Because uh, we, uh, <laughs> we're sort of we we live in a culture where greed is kind of celebrated and you know it's it's, it's uh, expected on a certain level you know you turn on the television and everybody wants more of everything bigger this bigger that more of it you know consumer based uh, so to me it's it's an energy <clears throat> and people have forgotten their original instructions about greed And there's no ceremony um, to approach greed intelligently. It's just accepted that's what we do as a human race because we want. Yet there's indigenous peoples worldwide that don't have the word for want Mm -hmm. because they speak an abundance language. And maybe this is a a thing that we have to look at. Greed is a being. And how is it treating you or how are you treating it? You see I like, I like the analogy of greed being the windigo. Yes. <laughs> it it eats at we eat from within not from outside. It's the ill wind that blows That's no good. Right. But hey, thank you for being here, Malcolm. Thank you. Thank you.